is dreaming of the future and we are going to actually look at one of the most amazing chapters in the Bible as far as I'm concerned. This was the chapter of the Bible that made me a believer that this book was divinely inspired. So now there have been since many other passages in the Bible that have led me to be, have that view reinforced. But this chapter that we're going to look at in the Bible led me to believe that the Bible was divinely inspired. When we looked at the topic, is there anything we can trust? We talked about evidences for the reliability of the Bible, the Scriptures. And one of those evidences was biblical prophecy. And we're going to look at one of the prophecies of the Bible. In fact, it's a Bible prophecy that spans a period of over 2,500 years. In fact, the prophecy hasn't ended yet. But it still contains some amazing things. We mentioned before that one of the evidences that God is God and that the Bible is his word is the fact that God can predict the future. He can predict what will happen in advance. In Isaiah it says this, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God declares that he knows the end from the beginning. He can tell you what's going to happen at the end, even if you're just at the beginning. And uh, furthermore, when Jesus was here 2,000 years ago, he was teaching his disciples, and he said to them, and now I have told you before it comes, that when it comes to pass, you may believe. There's an important principle here that I want to mention now that I will also mention at the end. The purpose of biblical prophecy is not simply for God to show off and say, hey, I know what's going to happen in the future. It's not for God to show off. I think if God was showing off, I think he did that with creation already. Right? But it's not for purpose of God showing off. God is teaching us what will happen in the future so that when it comes to pass and we recognise that, it gives us tremendous confidence in him. That's the purpose of prophecy. And so we want to bear that in mind as we dive into this prophetic passage tonight. We're going to go tonight to the country of Iraq. Iraq makes the news on many occasions because, uh, well, there's been a couple of wars there. And it still makes the news because there's usually some unrest in Iraq. But we're going to go to the country of Iraq. And you may recognise on the screen the gentleman on the left-hand side. Anybody know who that is? Yeah, that's Saddam Hussein. We remember him from all the news reports over the last 25, 30 years. And that is Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein commissioned this painting to be painted... And it used to hang in one of his summer palaces in Iraq. And he painted this painting with him on the left-hand side and ancient Babylon in the middle. And on the right-hand side, another character who was a major king of the empire of Babylon two and a half thousand years ago. His name, well, it's a bit of a mouthful, but his name was Nebuchadnezzar. You probably can uh, only say that once. <laughs> I don't know if you can repeat it. But Nebuchadnezzar, he was King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar was a great builder of ancient Babylon. He was a great conqueror. He conquered other nations. And Saddam Hussein revered King Nebuchadnezzar. 
He saw him as a hero of the past. And in fact, King Nebuchadnezzar had some coins minted with Saddam Hussein and Nebuchadnezzar on the coins. Such was his uh, appreciation of this ancient character. In fact, Saddam Hussein even had himself painted uh, in a painting riding Nebuchadnezzar's war chariot. So you have these uh, modern weapons of warfare here, but you also have Saddam Hussein there in the war chariot of King Nebuchadnezzar. So he saw him as a hero. We're going to go back to ancient Babylon. We're going to go back to the time of King Nebuchadnezzar, which is where this biblical story picks up. Nebuchadnezzar lived in ancient Babylon. He was the king. Uh, He was a very powerful king. He had conquered other nations. It was the most powerful empire at that time. And King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Tonight's session is called Dreaming of the Future. King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He wakes up from that dream and he knows the dream is important. In fact, God has given him that dream. And he knows it's important, but he can't seem to understand it or put it all together. You haven't had a a, a very impressive dream that you woke up in the morning and you thought it was real? Ever happened to you? I had one of those dreams. About half an hour later I realised it was just a dream and I thank the Lord it was just a dream. But sometimes we can have very impressive dreams. And Nebuchadnezzar had a very impressive dream. He woke up. He wasn't sure what the dream was about, but he knew it was important. He called in his wise men, asked them to interpret the dream. And they said, tell us, king, what the dream was. And the king says, well, you tell me what I dreamt. And then tell me what it means. Because if you tell me what I dreamt, then I know for sure you can tell me what it means. And they says, well, king, nobody's ever asked that because who can tell you what you dreamed last night, right? And he says, well, you better come up with the goods because I'm going to have you executed if you don't. He had an anger management problem. And uh, eventually, a young man who was from Jerusalem, he had been taken captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. His name was Daniel. I'm going to pause right here and tell you how important this story is to me. I have one son, one child in all the world. His name is Daniel. I named him after the character in this book. That's how important this story is to me. So he calls in young Daniel, who's about 18 years of age, and Daniel says, King, give me time. I'm going to go and ask God, and he's going to reveal what the dream is all about. Daniel prays, and God gives him that night the same dream that the king dreamt. Now, if you had to dream what I dreamt last night or you'd be executed tomorrow, I think you'd be praying, right? You'd be praying, wouldn't you? You'd be praying pretty hard. If you had to dream what I dreamt last night and I didn't tell you anything about it, you'd be, dreaming too. You'd be praying too. So Daniel prayed and God gave him the dream. And this is what Daniel said to the king. He said, There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. In other words, Daniel is telling the king plainly that God has revealed to you what's going to be in the latter days. That's the last days of earth's history. That's not the time of King Nebuchadnezzar, but the latter days. He says, Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, your thoughts came to your mind while you were on your bed about what would come to pass after this. 
And he who reveals secrets has made, made known to you what will be. Okay, he tells him what the dream is. He says, you, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image, an image like this, a great image, this great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. Its image, uh, sorry, the image's head was of gold, its chest and arms were of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And so Daniel explains to the king what he dreamt. He dreamt about this great image with the various different metals and materials in it. Okay, That's what he dreamt. So far, so good. But that doesn't tell him what it means. He goes on. He said, You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image at its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. That's like dust. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So he describes this image and he describes a great stone that came and struck the image at its feet and the image was blown away but the stone remained and became a great mountain that filled the whole earth. Alright, so Daniel has now told the king what he dreamt and the king must have been very relieved. Wow! Who could possibly tell you what you dreamt last night? But Daniel has been able to do it and now he's going to tell him what it means. He says to King Nebuchadnezzar, he tells him very plainly, it's in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 38, he says, Nebuchadnezzar, you are this head of gold. In other words, this statue that was of gold, silver, bronze, iron, iron and clay, he says, you Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, you are this head of gold. Okay? Very clear, very plain, not ambiguous at all. He tells him he is the head of gold. And that made sense, and I'm sure that Nebuchadnezzar enjoyed the idea of him being described as the golden kingdom, but I'm sure he, he enjoyed the idea of him being described as the head as well. We all want to be the head, right? Nobody wants to be the toenails, right? He, he was probably happy that he was described as the head and that it was gold. And certainly Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon was a golden kingdom. There was Loads of gold that was taken out of there by successive kingdoms after the fall of Babylon. But when Babylon was standing, it was regarded as a golden kingdom. Maybe you've heard of the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon were one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. In fact, of the seven ancient wonders, there's only one still standing, and that's the Great Pyramid in Egypt. But Hanging Gardens of Babylon, most people have heard of those, even if they've never heard of anything else about Babylon. And uh, they were one of the seven wonders of the world. Babylon at that time contained the Ishtar Gate. If you go today to Berlin, to the Pergamon Museum, I've had the privilege of going there, you can see the reconstructed blue and gold tiles of the Ishtar Gate. It's a fantastic piece. And this was part of the uh, Kingdom of Babylon. By the way, did we mention that we wanted you to turn your phones off? I just, just thought I'd throw that out there because I don't know if we mentioned that earlier, but... Just as a reminder, so the Ishtar Gate was part of ancient Babylon. After this, Daniel said something to the king that I'm sure the king didn't appreciate. He says in Daniel 
of chapter 2, verse 39, he says, But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. Now, it's one thing to say to somebody, there's going to be another kingdom that like removes yours and replaces it. But to say that that's inferior to yours and it's still going to do it, that's probably a bit of an insult, right? I'm sure that Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't have appreciated that there was going to be another kingdom that was going to replace his kingdom of Babylon. That kingdom, by the way, represented by the silver uh, chest and arms, is the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. And um, when Daniel was talking to King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar wanted his kingdom to last forever. In fact, they have found bricks from Babylon, and they found lots of these. This is not like a rare thing. Nebuchadnezzar had many of the bricks of Babylon stamped with his name on it. And uh, he says, uh, this is one from the British Museum, it says, the fortifications of Esagila and Babylon I strengthened and established the name of my reign for how long? Forever. He wanted his kingdom to last forever. But in this dream, in this prophecy that Daniel is revealing to the king, he says, there's going to come another kingdom that's inferior to yours and uh, it will be overthrown. In another passage in the Bible, in the book of Isaiah, written 800 years BC, the Bible actually predicts the fall of Babylon. It says, And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. God foretold in advance, even before the time of Daniel, that the kingdom of Babylon would be overthrown. And history recalls that that's actually what took place. And it was, we even know the date, it was 539 BC when the Medes and the Persians overthrew the Babylonians. We referred to this a couple of uh, nights ago, a couple of sessions ago. You remember I talked about the fact that the Bible contains many phrases that we use all the time, the writings on the wall. In fact, I heard this phrase just this week in the news. Uh, somebody was talking about somebody and he could see that the writing was on the wall. And uh, it comes from this story where the king of Babylon, the last king of Babylon, Belshazzar, he's throwing a great party and this bloodless hand writes on the wall and he can't understand the writing. And he calls in Daniel once again. Daniel now is 85 years of age. He was 18 back in the day of Nebuchadnezzar. He's now 85. And he calls him in. He says, can you read this writing? And he says, yes. I'd like you to read it for me. He says, I'm not sure you want me to read it. <laughs> he says, no, 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 I'll give you great gifts. Read the writing. And Daniel basically says, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. And he interprets that. We even have, uh, I mentioned before, Belshazzar's name has been found on uh, a cylinder from the archaeological diggings in Babylon. And there was another cylinder found called the Cyrus Cylinder, which describes how the Medes and the Persians overthrew the kingdom of Babylon. What they did was the river Euphrates flowed right through the middle of the city. We have lots of cities today that have rivers flowing through them, don't we? Uh, what's the river that flows through Melbourne? Yarra. The Yarra. What's the river that flows through Sydney? The Parramatta River. Yeah, you have to think about that. What's the one that flows through Brisbane? Brisbane. Yeah, that's right. That was the easy one, Brisbane River. But we still have cities that are built on rivers. Right? And Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon was built on the river Euphrates and the river flowed right under the walls and through the city. And the Medes and the Persians, they dammed up the river 
and march through the muddy bank of the river Euphrates into the kingdom of Babylon and overthrew it that night while they were having this drunken party and uh, the Medes and the Persians overthrew Babylon. Uh, In fact, the Bible not only talks about the fall of Babylon, it actually names the person who would overthrow Babylon. Over a hundred years before this man was born, the Bible mentions him by name. In Isaiah 45 verse 1 it says, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue the nations before him and loose the armour of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. And Babylon fell to the Medes and the Persians. The Medes and the Persians were like a coalition power. That's why there are two arms on that statue. Uh, We have a coalition government right now, don't we? Right? The Liberals and the Nationals. They're two two, uh, parties that came together to form government. And that was kind of like the Medes and the Persians in the sense that the Medes, well, they were the smaller part. The Persians became greater, and that's why you don't hear much about the Medes. But I'm sure you've all heard about the Persians, right? You've heard of Persian rugs and Persian cats and the Persian Gulf, right? So we've all heard, heard of the Persians. I remember I went to um, the Louvre in Paris, and they've got a lot of artefacts from the Persian Empire there, and a lot of those artefacts are made out of silver which is interesting because the chest and the arms of this statue were of silver. But Daniel's not finished there. He continues. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, you are this head of gold, but there will be another kingdom inferior to yours that comes and overthrows you. That was the Medes and the Persians. And then it says this, then another, a third kingdom of bronze shall rule over all the earth, he says. That kingdom that he represents here was the kingdom of bronze, the kingdom under Alexander the Great, the Macedonian or Greek Empire under Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great took power, he became the ruler over Greece uh, when he was 20 years of age. His father, Philip of Macedon, was a ruler, he died, and Alexander was 20 years of age. And Alexander conquered more territory as an individual than any other individual in history to that point. I mean, he was regarded as a military genius, was Alexander the Great. In Arian's history of Alexander's expedition, he writes this, he says, I am persuaded that there was no nation, city nor people, then in being, whether his name did not reach. There seems to me to have been some divine hand presiding both over his birth and his actions. Here's a historian looking back at Alexander and saying, I don't know what was happening with this guy, but it just seems to me that there was some divine hand presiding over both his birth and his actions. Because Alexander, he was up in Greece, but he, he conquered all the way through the Persian kingdom, all the way to the, the river of India, and all the way south into Egypt. In fact, uh, you ever heard of uh, Cleopatra? I think I mentioned this the other night. Cleopatra was uh, queen of Egypt, but she wasn't Egyptian, was she? She was Greek. She was one of the Ptolemaic queens. In fact, Josephus, who is a Jewish Roman historian of the first century, he wrote some histories, and Josephus writes about Alexander the Great coming toward Jerusalem. And Alexander the Great was conquering one kingdom and one nation after another, and he came to Jerusalem, and 
I want you to notice what Josephus says here. He says, And when the book of Daniel was showed him, wherein Daniel declared that one of the Greeks should destroy the empire of Persians, he supposed that himself was the person intended, and as he was then glad, he dismissed the multitude for the present. He didn't destroy Jerusalem. He didn't overthrow Jerusalem. And according to Josephus, at least, who lived in the first century, he said it was shown him the prophecy of Daniel that said a Greek would conquer the Persians. By the way, Daniel mentions this Greek kingdom by name in the book of Daniel chapter 8 and chapter 11. So that was amazing in itself. And he represented, Alexander the Great's Greece represented that third empire. But the Bible continues. Daniel continues his prophecy in Daniel chapter 2, verse 40. He says, But then there would come a fourth kingdom, as strong as iron. And that kingdom represented that empire that overthrew the Greeks and replaced the Greeks. And that, of course, was the Roman Empire. Empire. Notice what Daniel says. He says, The fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all others. The Roman Empire ruled for over 600 years, from about 168 BC through to 476 AD. And we have enormous amounts of Roman influence even in our world today. You know, we have sayings, don't we? When in Rome, do as the Romans. All roads lead to Rome. Rome wasn't built in a day. We use those phrases and they just echo back to that time when the Roman Empire ruled. I want you to notice what Edward Gibbon wrote in the history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. He said this, he said, The images of gold or silver or brass that might serve to represent the nations and their kings were successfully broken by the iron monarchy of Rome. Here's a historian and he's using the language of the Bible to talk about the fact that there may have been kingdoms of gold and silver and bronze, but they were successively broken by the iron monarchy of Rome. The historians are even using the biblical language to describe what happened in history. There was a um, late second century theologian. His name was Hippolytus of Rome. Late second century. He recognises what's going on here in Daniel because he writes this. He says, Rejoice, blessed Daniel. Thou hast not been in error. All these things have come to pass. Already the iron rules. Already it subdues and breaks in pieces. Here's a second century, late second century scholar a theologian, he's reading the Bible, he sees what's going on in his world and he recognises that Daniel has got this spot on so far. But we don't live in the second century. We live much later than that. So let's continue. Daniel continues, it doesn't stop there. He says, whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men 
but they will not adhere to one another. They will not stick together. Just as iron does not mix with clay. What's fascinating here is that we have had one kingdom after another, one empire conquering another empire, but we get to this stage in the history of the world and in the prophecy and it says that the kingdom's going to be divided and it's going to be partly strong and partly brittle. It's not going to be one empire. Just as the Persians overthrew Babylon and the Greeks overthrew uh, Persia and the Romans overthrew Greece, you might expect, if you were going to guess at what happens next, you might guess, well, there'll be another empire that comes along and overthrows the Romans. But that's not what happened in history. And it's remarkable that the prophecy knows what took place, what's going to take place. And so it says it'll be partly strong and partly brittle. And when we think of the Roman Empire around 476 AD, it's regarded as the fall of the Roman Empire. The, The Roman Empire wasn't built in a day and it didn't fall in a day either. However, it crumbled from the inside. It wasn't conquered by one great nation. Many Germanic tribes over which the Roman Empire ruled, they rose up. And the Roman Empire lacked the, uh, the strength to hold it all together. And many of the nations that we know today in Western, the Western European nations, they were under Roman rule. My nation of Britain was under Roman rule. I've been to many of the Roman remains in my country. They reigned there for about 400 years and then they left. But there have been many attempts to reunite Europe. I want you to notice something. You had Babylon, then you had Persia, and then you had Greece, and that lasted a little longer. Then you had the Romans, and they lasted a little longer. Then you had this dividing of the kingdom, and that lasts a little longer. The kingdom's been divided now for about 1,500 years. Each one of these is lasting a little longer. Wait till we come to the last one. But Western Europe, the European nations, the Roman Empire that once ruled there, it became divided. There have been many attempts. The Bible says that though this kingdom was divided, there would be attempts to unite the kingdom. And we know that there have been many attempts made. Charlemagne in the... I think it was the uh, 8th and 9th century, Charlemagne wanted to reunite the the Roman Empire and he called it the Holy Roman Empire. In fact, he had a Holy Roman Emperor. Uh, This continued for many centuries. In fact, uh, some of you have heard of King Henry VIII of England. He once was uh, going to be the Holy Roman Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. But Charlemagne basically died a defeated foe. He could not bring all these nations together. Charles V of France attempted that. Also, he tried to bring a number of the nations together under his rule. Then we come to Napoleon, which I'm sure we've all heard of. And he said this. He said, I wanted to found a European system, a European code of laws, a European judiciary, There would have been but one people throughout Europe. That was his plan. He wanted to bring Europe under one ruler. And I guess he felt that was him. But the Bible says this. They will not adhere 
to one another. In other words, they will not cling together. They will not stick together. They've been divided, and though there are attempts to unite them, they will not adhere to one another. Another who attempted to do this was Kaiser Wilhelm. We come to the time of the First World War. There is a cathedral at Metz, and today Metz Cathedral is in France, but in the time of Kaiser Wilhelm, the border had shifted and it was in Germany. And Kaiser Wilhelm was making plans to rule over many parts of Europe and at Metz Cathedral, it was in a state of disrepair. They needed some repairs done. And Kaiser Wilhelm said this, I will help you to fund the repairs needed for Metz Cathedral, but I want you to do something for me. Over the western door of Metz Cathedral, there was a statue of the prophet Daniel. And Kaiser Wilhelm says, I will help you fund the restoration project of Metz Cathedral if you'll do something for me. I want you to take the head off the statue of Daniel and replace it with an image of my face. And that's what they did. Um, and if you think, that's a, you think this is made up, I got this picture from the Australian War Memorial. <laughs> that's where I got the picture from. But he had the image of Daniel, his face removed, and Kaiser Wilhelm's face put there. Of course, Kaiser Wilhelm was defeated in World War I, and some years later, his face was removed and the statue of Daniel was restored. So if you go to Metz Cathedral today over the western door, you will still see the statue of Daniel there. But Wilhelm wanted to defeat this prophecy of Daniel the prophet. The Bible had said they will not adhere to one another. You know, the Bible had also said they will mingle with the seed of men. That's basically an old-fashioned term. It's a reference for intermarriage. There were many intermarriages among the European nations to try and form alliances. But they still would not unite with one another. And we can understand that. You know, you've heard of Mary Donaldson. She's uh, married to the Crown Prince of which country? Denmark, right. So, you know, Australians have a, a greater fondness for Denmark today because Mary Donaldson's married into the royal family of Denmark. And so this was the, the kind of thing that they would do, but the Bible says they will not adhere one to another. We come to the time of the Second World War. Adolf Hitler, he said he wanted there to be one people, one empire and one leader. And who do you think that leader was to be? And he wanted the thousand-year Reich. But he was defeated because the Bible says they will not adhere one to another. In more recent times, there have been attempts to unite Europe through political means as opposed to military means. In fact, uh, the Treaty of Rome, which was the first putting together of uh, the, the sort of economic nations of Europe, was in 1957. And one of the purposes was they thought that if we can unite Europe along trade negotiations, then that will make it less likely that we'll go to war with each other because they just endured two world wars in Europe. And so you had the Treaty of Rome, then you had the European Economic Community, and then in the early 90s that became the European Union. And many nations got on board with that, and many of the nations of Europe, of course, have a single currency now. They have the euro. My nation, Britain, signed up to part of it, but they decided they didn't want 
to go the whole hog and they retained their own currency. Well, as the European Union has moved along, they've had some referendums in various countries to try and, uh, I guess, move towards further integration. And the French had a vote on further integration in 2005, and the French are one of the real sort of powerhouses of the European Union. They're one of the ones that really want further integration and are pushing the pro-EU sort of uh, model, and the French voted no. It was a real shock in 2005 because they voted no to a new constitution on the EU. 2008, the Irish voted on a new constitution for the Irish to say to get on board. They voted no. All the nations have to have their own referendum. They all have to vote yes for it to be applied. The two nations that have so far voted no. Then, of course, we come to 2016. You may recognise this man. Actually, I think he was in uh, Australia. Was it this year or late last year? Boris Johnson. He uh, was the former Lord Mayor of London. He's a Conservative MP today. Britain had decided they were going to have a referendum about whether Britain stayed in the EU or not. And David Cameron, the Prime Minister, said he was going to put his life... He was so confident that they would stay, he put his job on the line. David Cameron says, we're going to have a referendum to end this squabbling once and for all. We're either going to be in or without, and I'm so confident we're going to stay in that if we don't stay in, I'm going to resign. And most people thought, well, it's probably going to, they're probably going to stay. Boris Johnson was one of the MPs who was sort of leading the charge for exiting Europe. And uh, notice what he says here. This was in the... Um, Newspaper, BBC News reported it, but speaking to the Sunday Telegraph, Mr Johnson said, European history has, been re has seen repeated attempts to rediscover the golden age of peace and prosperity under the Romans. Napoleon, Hitler, various people tried this out and it ends tragically. The EU is an attempt to do this by different methods, he said. He could have presented this programme tonight. I mean, he's using the same language that we're using here. And he made this statement about a month before the vote. And of course, 23rd of June, 2016, there was a referendum held in Britain and Britain by 51% voted to leave the EU. And so they've been working on Brexit ever since. But the Bible says they will not adhere one to another. That's what the Bible said. Not last week or 100 years ago, two and a half thousand years ago. The Bible says they will not adhere one to another. And Daniel has now gone through this image all the way to the feet and the toes. But he's not done. Notice what he says next. He says, and in the days of these kings, the days of which kings? Well, the kingdoms of France and Spain and Germany and Switzerland and Britain. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw the stone that was cut out from the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this? 
the dream is certain, the interpretation is sure. What Daniel couldn't have known back then, even when he spoke those words, how confident Daniel must have been that the thing that God had given him was certain and sure. But he lived centuries from where we do. But he was confident that the dream was certain, the interpretation was sure. I mentioned before, each of these successive kingdoms was lasting longer and longer and longer. The Roman Empire lasted 600 years. The divided kingdom has lasted about 1,500 years so far. And then this stone that's going to strike the image on its toes and feet, it says, how long is that going to last? Forever. It's going to last forever. Another thing about the image, by the way, I don't know if you've noticed, but um, gold's quite heavy and silver's a little less heavy and then bronze and then iron. It's actually top heavy, which means it's going to fall. It's a top-heavy statue. And he talks about this stone, you know, the, and he said, this stone that strikes the image on its toes and feet, that is the kingdom of God. The Bible says God is preparing a kingdom in the days of these kings, in the days in which we live. In the book of Revelation, chapter 11, verse 15, notice what it says here. It says, The seventh angel sounded, and there was a loud voice in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. You ever heard that uh, hallelujah chorus chorus that sometimes they sing at the Christmas carols? And he shall reign forever and... You don't want me to sing it. (laughs) But you get the point. That's where it comes from. He's going to reign forever and ever. That's what that stone represents. It says here, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. That's what's going to happen and it's going to happen relatively soon. The Bible says the dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. I hope you grasp tonight. There have been six prophecies that have come to pass, basically, and we're waiting for the seventh. Babylon was overthrown by the Medes and the Persians, which was overthrown by the Greeks, which was overthrown by the Romans. Then the kingdom became divided. There were attempts to reunite the kingdom, but those those attempts failed. Many attempts, and they all failed. The only thing left is the great stone, which is the kingdom of God. That's the only thing left in this prophecy. You know, I sometimes ask people, I used, to, um, I used to do a bit of gambling when I was back in the UK, but I lost so much money it just wasn't worth it. But imagine somebody rang you and says, I've got a tip for you. There's a horse riding next week at Flemington on Tuesday. It's called the King of Babylon. The odds are 10 to 1 but I'm telling you it's going to win. Get your money on it. And you think, I'm not that stupid. I'm not going to gamble my life, you know, my earnings away, my, the wages that I earn each week. But you notice on the news that that horse comes in by two lengths. It wins. Then the same guy rings you up and says, hey, I've got another horse for you. It's called the Prince of Persia. It's running next... Uh, Thursday afternoon, get your money on it, it's going to win. 
And you're not going to put your money on it because you think, well, you know, anybody can get lucky once, right? So you decide to save your money, but you keep an eye on what's going on. <laughs> and the horse comes in by seven lengths. Then he rings you again. He says, hey, I've got another one for you. Alexander the Greek. Get your money on it. It's going to win. And that horse wins, and the next horse wins, and the next horse wins, and the next, and the next. How many of you would think that he knows something if you have six horses that come in winners? You see, I am not asking you to take a gamble tonight. I don't believe in gambling. Waste of money. I'm asking you to back a certainty. The Bible says the dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Just as sure as there was a Babylon. There was a Persian Empire. There was a Greek Empire. There was a Roman Empire. Just as sure as the Empire was divided. Just as sure that there were attempts made to reunite it, but those attempts failed. Absolutely that sure. God's kingdom is coming. I mean, it's not a guess at this stage, is it? It's just the last piece in the puzzle. He is going to return. If God has a kingdom, and he does, and if that kingdom is coming, and it's coming soon, how many of you want to say tonight, I want to be a part of that kingdom? Raise your hand if you want to be a part of that kingdom. Don't be shy. If there's a God in heaven, he sees. Raise your hand. Let me pray with you. We're going to fill in these response cards, but I want to pray with you first. Just bow your heads where you are. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we are in awe of you. We are amazed at what you have chosen to reveal in the Bible, not just to impress us with prophecy, but rather to win our confidence that we may put our trust in you and desire to be a part of your kingdom which is coming. Lord, please bless every person here. Bless their families. Help us, Lord, to take you at your word and that as we have seen these other kingdoms come and go, that we can be confident tonight that your kingdom will come. Please bless us as we continue this journey of discovery tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.